0: Hey, welcome back to Fidelity, a conversational show about the work of design. I am Bill Chung, uh, a wannabe designer for eight hours a day. I'm joined by my uh, my, my partner in crime, John Rundle. Happy Friday, John. Happy Friday. Uh, speaking of which, have mm-hmm. you have you ever committed a crime? And <laughs> yes, I am asking you about your criminal record in a public forum because I know that
1: no one will ever listen
0: listen to this anyway. So
1: nice. Uh, no. No. I mean I got a speeding ticket once. Like oh, okay. does that count. That's God on your damn, record. Yeah. For You're a damn yeah, criminal, of time. man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. How about you? You probably have yeah. some speeding tickets, right? Uh why why would you say that? I don't know. You <laughs> you, you were into like fast cars and stuff at a period yeah. of time where it's still are. Well, so funny funny. I, thing feel is like, that... I feel like we all drove a little too fast when we were first getting our licenses. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I I've gotten one speeding ticket. Uh but How I I contested it. it. Um, I don't know. I was going over 10. I was going 10 over, which
1: annoyed me a oh, little bit. I'm like, come that's on. That's nothing. That yeah. I know. You shouldn't have gotten a ticket for that. That's, exactly. Yeah. 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 I do that but, just all the time. I don't think I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, think I, I don't yeah. think I ever like not drive 10 over. <laughs> oh, same. I mean, it's like this unspoken rule that. For our American drive. listeners though, 10 kilometers over is much different than 10 miles over. <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's really true. If, I don't uh, even know if we have any American listeners.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so enough about your criminal record. Uh, <laughs> let me let me change gears here a bit. Uh, actually, related to cars is um, I once sat in my friend's Tesla Model Three, mm-hmm. and something like that hit me instantly. That I felt was strange was how everything was designed to work on a a, a digital display, like on a console, yeah. Yeah. and that's things like you know adjusting volume and like cabin temperature and and, and not to be an old man about this but I <laughs> really prefer an analog interface for these kinds of things and it just makes mm-hmm. me it makes sense to me to have these like familiar knobs and dials like versus having to um like divert your attention away from the road to like yeah. do a quick adjustment right and yeah. i I guess if we nailed self-driving like this wouldn't be important but right. it still threw me down this rabbit hole thinking about like what things are better analog than they are digital um i don't have you ever thought about this like things that are just better being like the way that they are
1: instead of like this digital <laughs> disruptive version of it yeah i mean i think i mean that's the obvious one the car one comes up quite a bit um i'm trying to think of other examples though like there are i mean there are definitely lots of examples i think like touch interfaces are getting there like if they integrate haptics and stuff it gets better true sure. but yeah there's also like something very satisfying about certain physical controls especially like dials yeah dials are the most yeah. satisfying like yeah. you're never going to replicate like spinning a dial right in a in a touch environment yeah. um whereas like tapping a button tapping a button with a that has haptics i yeah. feel like is Almost as good. Yes. Yeah. That's, definitely better I saw that than on the iPhone 7. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely better than those like capacitive buttons and stuff they put in cars to you. True. They're like are are sort of physical, but like not. <laughs> yeah. Um they're like they're that's like the worst version of it all. <laughs> yeah. Like at that point, that just true. make that a touch screen. <laughs> <laughs> But aren't coffee
0: um, machines a good example of this? Like you have a fancy espresso machine. Like yeah, yeah. are there not versions of espresso
1: machines that are like completely digital and they take oh, yeah. away a lot of the dials and stuff? A hundred percent. Yeah, there are. Um, there's both. And and so I think, yeah, like that's one of the that's one of the things that people like about the more traditional ones is having those levers and stuff that you actually pull and and there's yeah. more physicality to it. There's actually a really interesting new espresso machine going down the espresso route Uh-oh. hole. Um, there's a there's actually two very interesting espresso machines in the market. There's one that's been around for a long time called the Decent, which is a um, espresso machine that basically has like essentially an iPad uh, connected on top of it. Okay, uh, it's not an iPad, but it looks like an iPad. Okay, and you can control everything about the machine through that uh, interface, and you can like it can you can see it. It has like graphs and stuff, so you can see like the pressure. Uh, of the like water going through the puck and all that stuff, and you can control it and you can automate it all to do like very unique kind of styles of pulls and stuff like that. And it's it's very it's very interesting um, space and a lot of people really like it. It's very expensive, but right. um, it's a pretty interesting one. But there's a brand new one that just came out that um, called the meticulous, um, and it has uh, it has some similar things to it like the decent where. You can more control like the flow and like have all these different profiles that you save, and it connects to a, like a a, a a smartphone app and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. But what's interesting about it is they have they have this kind of interesting like display on it. Um, but what they do re- that's really nice that I like is it also has a like physical dial for like navigating the menus on the Ooh. screen. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like that mix of like you can spin the dial and then push it in. To like you know how some of those interfaces that exist where it's like using the physical dial to like um interact with the bigger screen or that you can also still touch it as well or you interact yeah. in different ways, so like that's kind of a cool um combo that I saw there for like a more noticed, modern like a modern one, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and notice how your voice changed completely when we started talking about goddamn <laughs> coffee machines.
1: Uh- <laughs> I'll find a way to bring it up every time.
0: <laughs> so so the other one is Decent and the other one is called Meticulous? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, even the names are
1: pretentious. Like, that's <laughs> great, <Yeah. laughs> All right, so you, Are you buying one of these? No. Oh, no. I, okay. I'm happy with one I have. I mean, okay. I mean the Decent's like $6,000 or something. Oh. <laughs> I'm not buying one of those. The Meticulous is more affordable, um, yeah. but yeah. I okay. But like what I have. Well, as, as always, our conversation already has
0: me thinking about new pits to throw my money in. So let's, <laughs> let's quickly switch uh, train tracks here uh, into our actual topic for today, which is about designing under pressure. So we we think about this, think about your, your boss telling you to drop everything and just do this one like really ambitious thing and get it done yesterday. And I thought about, I thought we should talk about how that feels and maybe how you and I have designed under pressure and how we might do it better next time. Because I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's difficult to be like super meta when you're in that situation where (laughs) you've only got to get this one thing done Mm -hmm. and it can be really uh, intense. Yes. But also like very, a very focused uh, period of time. Right. Um, You, you got any horror stories about designing under the gun, John? Because I, I, I know you. I bet you do because I know you used to run an agency, and that's sort of the epitome of being under pressure, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, even before having my own, I also worked at a web agency, and Mm -hmm. I remember many days where, like, I'd finish up lunch, and then it would be like having to have a mock up out to a client by end of day, and I hadn't even started it yet. (laughs) So it's like you got—I don't know—four or five hours uh, max, not even three, four. Oh, okay. uh, to, like, put together a whole homepage design. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, not fun. Not fun. So, <laughs> like, thinking back on that, um, yeah. and I,
0: I guess we, I've, I've never actually asked anyone how to do this. I just kind of figured out ways that work for me. Like, mm-hmm. do you now, after all these years of, like, maybe occasionally being under pressure, do you have, like, a, a, a recipe book or, like, a rule book uh, on how to get through it? Like, what do you tend to do when the pressure's on?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of different things. Um, I think through like I remember during the web design time, like I, th- that was also very early in my career, so I was still like developing a lot of my skill set. But sure, um, I think as I got a bit more comfortable with it, like one of the things that I leaned on a lot was uh, drawing on like existing patterns or layouts and stuff like yeah. that, especially mm-hmm. like in a web design space where you're having to put together the whole page. Um, so it's not when you, if you're under the gun, you it's not really the time to start like reinventing the layout, <laughs> right? Like yeah. just, just go with something tried and true or whatever, or yeah. like something, you know, that you have, or even like take another one that you have from earlier and just change it. Yeah. Um, and I think I actually kind of do that at times now, even as well. Like if there was ever a case where, uh, I had to do something really quickly, yeah, I will like lean a lot on past designs or past things that i know have worked um just to help with the speed uh it's not like it's not really the time to try to come up with a new pattern yeah um, if you are and i mean that's ultimately why you ideally want to avoid those situations because it usually means that you end up with just coming up with a very safe approach Um, sure sure but that's the (laughs) trade-off um yeah what about you well, I was
0: just on that point. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever had a coworker who, who you're like, you know, working really closely with and like you're under this gun to like, I don't know, make a mock up in a few hours or something. Mm-hmm. And then you have that one coworker that won't do things the expected way. <laughs> so they're just yeah. going to push the envelope for like, my man, like, let's yeah. just get this done. Right. <laughs> we we, just can, we, do we need to yeah, have yeah. something in this slide deck for now. Yeah.
1: Um, I, so stop being an artist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I actually like totally resonate with that. I think like, um, there, one of the one of the ways to think through a situation like that is like you do have to change your approach. Yes. Um, and I think like some for some people it's it's difficult to change their approach. Like they mm-hmm. want to approach every project in the exact same way, um, which can also be good. Like I, there's a part of me that is sometimes also inspired by people who. Always want to do the five percent more, even if yeah. there's no time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because I find that I I don't instinctively do that. I'm like, if if I'm feeling under pressure, I'll get to the like night the solid ninety percent and just be like, good enough. Um, let's do it. Yeah. And then I I have worked with people who are like, no, I'm still gonna, I still want to get that extra ten percent. I still want to go further. <laughs> and I'm like, but you don't have time. Or like, then they end up working like super late to do it and I'm like I don't know I there's a part of me that's like you shouldn't do that like you should respect like the time and just like try to avoid doing that um, for your own like mental health and stuff but then at the same time there's a little part of me that's like oh they're they're always striving for a little like for a little bit better and maybe I should be too yeah Um, yeah so I, I I don't know I I'm not sure if I'm doing it fully the right way. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't
0: think anyone does really. Also, yeah. like I think we were just talking about how we try to avoid getting into these situations where we've got like less than a day to do something really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Right. And um but sometimes it's unavoidable. I um I have been that person that, you know, stays up all night because I really believe in this one solution. Although mm-hmm. to your point, um what I tend to do is I do I get at least something on the board yeah. and then I, I like, okay, well this is like the bare minimum. If I can't make this other idea work, at least I've got this one to fall back on. Right. I can rationalize it. And I think yes. that's the thing is like, I, I think when I'm like working under pressure, what I really focus on is the ideas I know I can rationalize because yeah. if yeah. there's something I do like really last minute, <laughs> it's like it, it looks sick, but I can't rationalize it. I'm just like, well mm-hmm. that's a waste, a complete waste of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's what I tend to focus on. And I also focus more on like um on output more than anything. Like if right. I only have like one day to do something before like tomorrow morning I've got to present something. I, yeah. I really front load all that output as as much as possible. And I Yeah. Um so the way I will do this is and you can tell me if this is like rude. But I cancel all my meetings like oh, I just yeah yeah everything's occurring. I'm just like sorry I'm just yep. gonna nuke all that I'm gonna build this yep. time for myself because yeah you, actually you're a lot better at that at this than I am you you can switch gears really quickly I can't like I I need to look at something for like three hours for for me to make significant progress. and if I only have like 30 minutes here and 20 minutes there I, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna get nothing done. Uh, I I have no idea how you, you can do that though. Like that's, it's incredible.
1: I mean, not, I mean, sometimes like if it's something that I know I have experience with or something, then it comes more quickly, but there's other, a lot of other cases where that's not the case. And I do something very similar to you, like try to just cancel all meetings if I can Mm -hmm. um, and just like rebook them or just be like, is all right if we um, skip over this or whatever. Uh, I think that's a really good way to, Get back as much time as possible, for sure. Um, yeah. The other, the other thing that you mentioned a bit ago, that I wanted to touch on too, was the idea of like avoiding being in a scenario where you have to rush for something. Mm. Um, and one thing that I remember learning in my agency days, really early on, or not really early on, but like eventually learned, and then applied a lot to like when I was running my own agency, was that. And, and because, and I think a lot of people in agencies fall trapped to this because there's the pressure of a client that's sometimes different than the internal pressures of just like your team. Because mm-hmm. um, the pressure of a client is like they're paying you. If they're not happy, they may not want to pay you kind of thing. Um, and so some people like get themselves into that situation more often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always found one thing that I learned uh, that's really effective is all you need to do is just like ultimately set the right expectations with that person and like whether it's a client or a coworker uh, yeah of when you can realistically deliver something mm-hmm. like they may ask for it for friday but you could if you are if you're very straight up right off the bat with um the the best i can do is monday or whatever or whatever mm-hmm. that timeline is I'll most more oftentimes than not like they're okay with that. Yeah. I think where you get into a problem and I've seen this many, many times is, and I've worked with people like this or I've been at agencies where it's been like this at times where they kind of try to, they, they try to just please the client right away and say like, yeah, yeah, we can meet that timeline. And then it's not till like the, the final moments (laughs) where they didn't quite get it done and they have to then push the timeline and it's like, why did you, why did you do that? Like, just if you set up the expectation right away, they're not going to be upset if it's a little bit further out. Whereas if you yeah. do it at the last second, they're going to be upset. Like, and then you're just perpetuating that problem even further. Sure. Um, so yeah, trying to, if you can, if you can immediately um, set a better expectation on a realistic timeline, and they agree to that, then that also helps you avoid the scenario altogether. You just described
0: me like I <laughs> I'm I'm a pleaser. I want people to be happy with like, you know, the, their expectation. I want them I want to meet their expectations around like yeah. when th- to review the design and I'm just like I I always make this mistake. I'll, we'll, we'll talk on Monday morning and inevitably what that means is I, I end up working on Sunday, right? So Right, right. Yeah. Um th- that's a good call out. I just got to like be a little bit more smart about like padding it, padding that expectation a little bit.
1: Yeah. And, and I find most times that's, that's always okay. Like I'm, I generally also am a people pleaser um, as well. So I, I know the feeling, but I have seen it enough times where just saying right away what the, a better realistic expectation is Mm -hmm. usually doesn't is usually met with like, Oh yeah, no problem. That sounds good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, something we've talked about
0: a lot in the past is the role of fidelity in in some of these, like, really high-pressure situations. And, mm-hmm. w- w- sorry, not high-pressure, but more, like, time-constrained situations. And then, you know, it, it's tempting, I think, mm-hmm. to really go back to doing, like, basic wireframes because you just don't have the time to deal with the details. yeah um, And uh, I have done this once where... I have like used like gray boxes to represent something. It's early in the morning on like uh on a Monday, the mock up is due on Wednesday. I've got Tuesday to to kind of work it out. So I use Monday to like nail like the broad strokes of something and it, it's tempting to continue to do that because it did work that one time. It did work really quickly for me to use like a bunch of gray boxes to get there. Um and what I'm talking about is is getting as much of the cross-functional decisions made early so that yeah. I can spend more time sort of making it look real. And I, I'm tempted to, to say that that's a good way to do it, but it could have easily gone the other way, where mm-hmm. I show up on Wednesday after spending a lot of time on it, and it looks completely different from the the, the gray boxes. So I got lucky the one time where <laughs> my boxes sort of lined up with how we were thinking about a flow. Yeah, But that... May also have gone completely the wrong way, so I, I don't know if you have thoughts here on like time constraints and like the fidelity we should work at um, when we have limited time.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's largely dependent on what it is you're trying to get alignment on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that can affect it. But I think, I, I mean, I still try to apply the same thinking that I would if there wasn't pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if if ultimately the goal is to align on direction i'm still going to instinctively want to go a bit higher fidelity because i know that that's going to like create a higher level of alignment or at least at least get out more of the proper discussion we need to have Mm -hmm. if if people disagree and um that can be beneficial um at any stage so Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like i'll still do that um i think the thing that i will try to do is work backwards from the story that I need to tell with the thing, mm. um, right? Like, I I think some people get caught up with um, wanting to to visualize all of the pieces that they're trying to align on, right? But I think if you're if you're short for time, one like way to work around that is to look at the actual problem that you're trying to solve or the solution you're trying to present, and just pull out like the high level. Uh, story about it and like what yeah. do you need to actually support that story. Um and you might not hmm. need everything. You might only yeah. need like two parts of it and then or maybe like you have you need just one part of it to be very fleshed out and then the other parts can be more wireframey. Um right, right, right. because they're the they're like the more obvious or like less likely to need um more iteration. Um, yeah. or there's like a higher level of confidence with other pieces and you just need them there to support the 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 picture you're trying to to show um but that you put your effort into like the one thing that you know is still the more unknown or the lower confidence piece I think I know um, what you're saying yeah so yeah. like
0: if i could just like kind of dig into concretely what this could be so let's say for example we're designing a net new screen and conceivably there might be like five or six different states that you would have to deal with on the screen, Yeah, you might decide that for the purpose of a presentation or like moving the, the project forward, you really just need to design for that ideal user situation and then maybe yeah. just have a few bullet points about like, okay, well, in this empty state, we'll do this. And then in the yeah. error state, yeah. we'll do this. And not have to actually like spend hours on every single state. Is that sort of like yeah. what you're you're saying?
1: Yeah, 100% that. Or, okay. and like another example of this could be maybe you're, I'm thinking about like a mobile screen. Uh, and one aspect of it is like being able to share or something. Right. So when you show the share sheet, you just like drop in a screenshot from your phone of yeah, a share yeah. sheet and you don't worry about mocking that up because you're like, we know what this part of it's going to kind of be. Um, mm-hmm. where, but then you can spend your time on the other pieces instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like what you described is a really good one too where maybe you don't even need a visual in some cases, you just have a, a set of bullet points about this will be the empty state version of it or like in onboarding it'll look kind of like this but you more spend your time on the the 80% version of it like yeah. the most likely um, yeah. the more often version. Yeah. And, and I like that what you're saying about
0: like, you know, just really focus on communication, right? You, you yeah. just like, if you need to take that screenshot from your device and just throw it in there, like, I think that's as clear as you can make it, right? Like, yeah. um, yeah. Although, although, like, there's a part of me that's like, hmm, actually, I could mock that up pretty quick. If there wasn't (laughs) an existing, I'm sure, like,
1: oh, yeah. uh, And I mean, I would ultimately do that. Like, I I usually very dislike having screenshots anywhere in my mocks. Like, even, like, I know lots of people rely on, like, taking a quick screenshot of the existing screen and then, like, mocking up over it. Yeah. Um, I personally dislike doing that i i'll I'll like recreate it in real yeah. UI. I know um, you will but <laughs> i I think it's more so when we're in the if you're in a time constraint like if if I have no time constraints, I will do all that effort. Um, but if I do have a time constraint, that's when I will cut those edges a bit.
0: <laughs> John is the coworker who's up at four in the morning mocking up. Uh, an apple like ios setting screen for no damn reason <laughs> yeah probably yeah <laughs> so do you do you this is coming from the guy who, who names all his layers do you name do you rename the screenshot in figma like in the layers yes. like do you, yeah. Do you oh, do? yeah yeah i did uh, what a nerd definitely. oh my god yeah total nerd <laughs> you can't just leave it as screenshot you, you've got to no. name it something no oh. man can't do that <laughs> um so I, um, I I' just thinking about this entire topic of designing under pressure I um, I realized that the one there's one rule that I have that sort of permeates across like whatever situation mm-hmm. which is when you have a meeting don't show up empty-handed and mm. I, I, I try to avoid this whenever possible because I think honestly most meetings that you have if you're new to the industry most meetings suck like there's no one really who's taking the time to like structure it out, have a really good agenda when you do have those meetings that are really well structured, you'll know like it'll just flow yeah and I think that like one benefit uh, around being a designer is that you're really good at visualizing something and that is that could be the focal point of a discussion. And I think like if you're under the gun, every cross-functional meeting that you have is important. So I try to really make sure I extract the most value out of these these moments because, you need to get that feedback. And if you're yeah. going to spend any time in like the one day you have to do something, meeting with other people, use it for feedback um, and moving that discussion forward and also just general alignment. So I, I'm a big fan of like, yes, meet, but make sure you bring artifacts that help you move that
1: meeting forward. Just have a focal
0: point. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like sitting there on Zoom, looking at each other, wondering what the hell to talk about, right? So Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. and And I think another additional bonus tip to that is whenever you can the thing that you bring like bring it as a prototype um yes like even like and especially just like i mean just lean on figma click-through prototypes right like it doesn't need to be fancy yeah um but there's just so much more benefit i think especially with cross-functional folks and even with designers like this isn't just um like I think designers are pretty good at like understanding a high level flow if they just see like the static mocks. Um but even with a, a, a group of designers, I think there's just so much more benefit from showing it in that more flow-based state. Yeah. That just clears up like just creates more clarity and more opportunity for the right kind of discussion to happen.
0: Man, I, I so agree with this because um, when I talk to, so I'm not I'm not trying to say like people are dumb if they can't look at a, like a Figma screen share and like figure things out. But some yeah. like even for myself, when I look at like uh, an array of screens in Figma on the canvas, I mm-hmm. can't always put them together. Like it's really yeah. hard to to grok sometimes. Yep. Um. Depending on the style of designer, but when you put it into that click through. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's easier to form a narrative around that because you're yeah. you're probably looking at one screen at a time, of course. But and I think from from the person who's making that click through, it forces that person to internalize a narrative because mm-hmm. you've and when you're building it, when you're like wiring it all together with the spaghetti strings, that's the part where you're you're realizing things about the design that don't work. So yeah, I, I think 100%. there's huge value in syncing the time early. Yeah. Well, So that's like, I think the hot tip is actually have the right artifact. Yeah. And yeah. I think it could, it doesn't have to be Figma. It could be, you know, principle or, 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 or GAMI or whatever, but something that forces you to internalize that
1: narrative and make it real is yeah. so valuable. So yeah,
0: that I think that's the tip of the day.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm even, I'm even a big fan of like only show the prototype, like don't even bother showing the static screens, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Um, you can dig into them afterwards if you need to but like yeah. it's just so much more straightforward to just be like this is the thing that we're talking about man um, yeah that 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 should go on a t-shirt man like <laughs> it <it's, laughs> show me the prototype right like <laughs> yeah no i mean i try to encourage people to do that so much more and i feel like so many designers don't get far enough into that step like like get there as early as possible yeah. Um. even if it's not fully thought through, like even if part of the prototype doesn't work or like it, it doesn't feel quite right. Like even show the version of the prototype where it actually doesn't make sense yet. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. that's yeah. still, there's still benefit to that. It doesn't, like I think too many people think of the prototype as the finished version. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. like, it should not be the finished version. It should be the... Articulated story of the thing that you're trying to create. That's right. And if it if it has a part that doesn't make sense, like that's part of the that should be part of the discussion. Like, yeah, and, and that's just as valuable. Yeah, it, it's it's not like it's not like an art gallery piece where
0: it's the one yeah. that gets into the frame, right? It, it, yeah. It's, yeah, It's just one of many stabs at communicating the design. And yeah,
1: I think people think of it like closer to the like if you're thinking about the design like the product. Uh, process or like timeline. It's like early research, like thinking, gathering, understanding the problem, and then like so. If we're thinking about a spectrum, like you start kind of there, then you then you move into like starting to mock it up, design it. Then you get to like prototyping. Then you get to like actually building the the thing and shipping it. Right? Like yeah. if we're, very simply the whole spectrum. But yeah. I think too many people think of prototyping being super close to the coded version. Mm-hmm. right on that spectrum like if you're right. visualizing it like i think they think of prototyping being that like really close to the we're going to build this in code now yeah. when i really when i think ultimately it should be way closer to the we're putting together some designs and trying to see what makes sense yes. like it should be closer to that end than it should be to the we're coding it now end right. Um, right and i and i find too often it actually is way more clumped with the coding end than it is with the we're just iterating in design I completely agree.
0: I, I feel like there should be hundreds of prototypes when you're yeah. working on something pretty ambitious and um, I think a lot of people focus way too much time on like a bunch of a set of static screens when the tools now enable us to really like in seconds just like put together something that just is more clear. And yeah. I think that clarity is is worth the extra time. And it, it's not, I don't think of it as extra time. Like I, yeah. I think of going into origami and building a really powerful prototype as extra time. That that's yeah. true. But yeah. like if I just need to do something in Figma, that's literally five seconds, right? Yeah. So, so just do it's that. So right? fast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I uh um I currently I was just looking at my desktop. I currently have eighty origami prototypes on my desktop. <laughs> eighty. I, I'm shocked that you leave them on your desktop, man. Like, I I try to move them whenever I yeah. can, but these are from the last like five months. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the rest are all in a fol- like other folders. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I I've, like, I've recently started doing the, uh, some organization about that. I, I actually keep it in a Git repo, so I find that oh, nice. really helpful. And idea. I just like whenever I like I I basically find these patterns that work work really well. And like instead of having to recreate the patches all the time, I just put it into a repo and I find that pretty yeah. helpful. Yeah. Love that. I'm way
1: more organized than me. Wow, this oh. is a that's a that's a first. I this, that's a <laughs> a switch around there. I don't know if I should be insulted by by that remark. I mean, that's <laughs> well, So you surprised were just, that I'm you organized. Were just, you were just criticizing me for naming my layers, so I had to I had to switch oh. it around there. <laughs> um, so so today we've heard some like uh,
0: I think some interesting um, stories around designing under pressure, and I think most importantly, some uh, just in the last five minutes around s- some tactics around how to perform your best in these situations. And but we want to hear from you. So, like, what have you found effective in working under the gun that that we haven't talked about? Uh, share them with us on on Twitter or posts. But in the meantime, let's get back to work, John. Have a great weekend, yeah. man. Yeah, you too. See you, dude. Bye. The Fidelity Podcast is hosted and produced by John Rundle and Bill Chung. Visual brand design by Amy Devere. Rate, review, and subscribe to Fidelity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.